You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. The resurrection, a cross, a Middle Eastern radical, salvation, a death that was anything but practical, yet necessary. Jesus died to give you an opportunity to believe in him. He didn't die to make you believe, but give you the chance to believe, knowing full and well that many would not. This highlights the selfishness of humanity, but also glorifies the selflessness of God. The same ones who waved him into the city and laid palm branches on the street were the same ones who screamed crucify him within the very same week. He was unlawfully arrested, put on an unfair trial, convicted, although innocent, and brutally murdered by the state. Christ, a bridge between divinity and humanity, the atoning sacrifice for all of mankind's sin, so that we might dine with him at the table. He was born poor in a stable and died like a common thief. He was a king, gold, yet our fully divine intercessor, frankincense, placed in a rich man's tomb, myrrh, for no crime whatsoever, worshipped the Lord for what we could not do. They pierced his hands, his feet, his side. They laughed as his followers cried and offered him myrrh mixed with wine, but did their part in fulfilling a prophecy. Would you put yourself in his sandals? Would you be beaten on, abused, spit on and manhandled the way rival fans do, a hated opposition? Would you willingly pray, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do as your last proposition, your last bargaining chip. Beaten beyond all recognition, but still in silent like a harboring ship. Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Banner Church. We're so Jesus, excited you could join look, us online. He's our definition. Uh, I'm and really he's our excited redeemer. to bring a message of hope and healing today. We're launching our Hope and Healing series okay. that we're really excited for. It's five weeks of just committing to believing for more, more for you, more for your family, a hope for every future, healing for every past. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of a small group, get connected, be a part of the next five weeks online, because it's going to be amazing what God is going to do. Um, I wanted to share a little bit with you this morning. Last week I was working in the garden and I came across a caterpillar and I was like, man, this is really interesting. Maybe Lucy will like it. So I brought it in and I didn't want it, you know, eating all my lettuce and all the stuff anyway. So I'm like, I'm gonna bring it inside. And I got a jar. This jar actually has a little butterfly I just caught in it. But I brought a jar and I put some dirt and I put some leaves and I put some all kinds of different things in there. And we set it on the counter. And Lucy every day was like, when can, when can I see it? When can I see it? Where's my caterpillar? Where's my caterpillar? So every day I would take the jar and we would look inside of it and we'd look around. It's this little green guy and we try to find it. And eventually one day it was totally gone. And I'm looking around like, oh my goodness. You know, it only had this like little thing with a bunch of holes on the top. I was like, maybe it crawled out of one of these holes because I put too many holes because I didn't want it to die because I don't want to kill, you know, this poor caterpillar. And so I'm looking around and I realize it's in this little cocoon. And so I tell Lucy, it's in a cocoon. We can't, you know, we can't look at it. She says, well, let's get it out of the cocoon. And I said, no, it's got to stay in the cocoon till it becomes a butterfly. 
and eventually it's gonna bloom into this beautiful, amazing butterfly that you're gonna love. And so we wait and we wait every day. Is the butterfly ready? Is the butterfly ready? Is the butterfly ready? Till finally, I'm looking at the glass and I'm going, where, where is the cocoon? Where is the caterpillar? And I look and on the side of the glass, like this, is a dark brown moth. <laughs> Her caterpillar had turned into the most ugly, dirty looking garden moth I have ever seen. And I thought, and I held them, I held it in my hands and I thought this was gonna happen with this, this little butterfly moth or whatever this is. I thought when I tapped it, it was gonna fly like this, watch. And she was gonna be amazed. And I would get like a amazing dad award for raising this caterpillar, teaching my child something about nature. But instead, I tapped on the glass and as I did, the moth just goes right down on the ground. And Lucy goes, uh, where is the moth? And I said, oh, it's fine, it's just resting. How many parents have used that one before? And so I told her, I said, no, don't worry. Um, uh, 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 I'm gonna take it somewhere. I mean, what am I supposed to do? I did what every good parent would do. I took the jar, I took the dead moth into the alley, and I flung the dead moth into the alley and told her it flew away, as any good parent would do. And I went back inside and I said, oh, Lucy, uh, your, your moth, it flew away to heaven where it will live forever. <laughs> right, because I, I don't have the ability to bring even like the tiniest creature, a moth, a little caterpillar is such a tiny, tiny creature but I don't possess the ability to resurrect even a moth. Like if we were to go through all of the important things in the, in the world, even in the animal kingdom, a moth is so low. But as a human being, I do not possess any capability to resurrect even the tiniest moth. No matter how hard I try, I, I personally, with my power as a human being, cannot resurrect something. And the, the difficult thing I think as being people is as much as we desire resurrection in our life, we don't possess the human ability to do it. Let, let me explain what I mean. When in our lives, we all have parts of our lives, family relationship that we desire for there to be new life. We desire for there to be resurrection. We all have relationships that we feel like just can't be reconciled. And if they can't be reconciled, then they can't really be resurrected. There can't really be new life. Maybe you have family and your family is so fractured or hurting or broken that it's like there, there's no way that anything uh, in life can, can come out of this. There's no resurrection that can happen here because it's just so dead. And kind of like the moth and me with Lucy, you think like, well, uh, maybe if it takes a new form, maybe if we go on a vacation, maybe if I get a raise, maybe if I get some more money, maybe as a family if we do this, this, and this. But what happens is, we do those things and they might lift our spirits, but they don't really resurrect our soul. And in our own life, I think we see this happen all the time. We think maybe this thing will raise the dead in my life. Maybe this thing will raise the dead in my situation. Maybe it'll resurrect me, it'll make me feel alive. And so we think maybe this money, maybe this girlfriend, maybe this opportunity, and yet when we get a hold of those things, I don't feel any more alive. In fact, it just kind of seems to shine an even greater spotlight on my brokenness. 
And all around, I think we see that even in quarantine, even in, in the situation of staying at home or being at home, we see over and over that we as people, we want life. And so we do things to inject a shadow of life into our life. We do anything to feel alive. We're like emotional adrenaline junkies. The difficult part is it might lift your spirits, but it cannot resurrect your life. A new job might lift your spirits. A new opportunity might lift your spirits. A motivational word, a kind word from somebody, a certain significant other, a certain amount in the bank, it might lift your spirit. It might make you feel good in the moment, but it cannot resurrect your life. No money, no job, no drug, no spouse, no opportunity, no house, no success will do it. The only way that our life is resurrected into a life of hope and healing and freedom and wholeness is through Jesus Christ. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we're celebrating on Resurrection Sunday is not just a neat idea. It is an invitation for us into new life that says nothing in the world will accomplish this except for the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection on Resurrection Sunday is an invitation for you to receive the hope and healing of Jesus Christ. I want to read about the resurrection together. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. We're going to read this uh, again over the service here. And I want to read this together. Matthew 28, 1 through 10. If you don't have your Bible with you, we have a Bible in the notes section. You can go on, just click right there, and our host will share it with you. But let's read together. Matthew 28, 1 through 10. It says, Now after the Sabbath... Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb and with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And it says, Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and go to Galilee. There they will see me. I love this scripture and I love the phrase here. He is not here. He is risen. Come and see. See, the empty tomb is one of the most powerful statements in all of human history. It is a declaration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why, why is the resurrection so important? It's important because of a few things that I want to tell you today. The first one is the resurrection is proof of the divinity of Jesus Christ. Meaning this, the resurrection proves that Jesus really is God. Let's talk about Jesus for a second. The, the ministry of Jesus is amazing, and, and, I, and I love looking at all that Jesus did on earth because Jesus ministered to the most marginalized and forgotten people. 
He spent most of his ministry with the people that the world despises. He sat with them. He ate with them. He spent time with them. He loved on them. It drove the religious leaders crazy, but Jesus loved to minister to the marginalized. He cared for the people who were hurting. He cared for those who were in need, and he taught his disciples to do the same. And I think that we like that part about Jesus. I think globally, people like the part about Jesus that is the care for the needy, care for those in, who are hurting, have compassion on those. What they didn't like so much is the things that Jesus said beyond that. They liked have compassion. Well, some of them did. They didn't like things like this, John 2, 19. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. To us, maybe that's not as significant. To the Jewish community at the time, the idea of destroying the temple would have been just the greatest act of uh, heresy, of, of brutality that they would have known. He would say things like this, John 14, 6. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. People say, well, I like Jesus. He was a great teacher. True, I think Jesus was the best teacher that there ever has been. But Jesus wasn't just a teacher. He was the Messiah, and he very clearly said he was the Son of God. Jesus very clearly taught that he was the Son of God. He did not just come to give some nice quotes for your grandma to embroider on a pillow that you can leave in the guest room. Jesus came to teach clearly. He came to teach what it means to follow him. He came to teach what happens if you don't follow him. He came to teach what you need to do to follow him. He came to teach what's going to happen when we don't do those things. He came to teach the entirety. So what we can't do is say, well, Jesus was a good teacher, but I'm going to throw out all his claims about divinity. If you don't believe the claims about divinity, then let me just spoil it for you. In your mind, you should not think that Jesus was a good teacher. He was just a crazy guy that told people to drink his blood and eat his body. But the resurrection points to the proof. When the angel says he is risen, the angel is saying he is God. And this is important. Historically, we know that Jesus lived. Jesus Christ was a real person who walked the earth. There's extra biblical sources that talk about this. We know that Jesus was a real person. History gives us that one. We also know that Jesus died. There's, there's a weight of evidence that says Jesus died. Jesus was beaten. He was whipped. He was crucified. He was killed by Romans. People say, well, uh, there's the swoon theory. Well, Jesus fainted. I think that's an interesting theory. Unfortunately, that theory does one thing. It takes the weight of scientific evidence and just throws it out the window. See, the Romans were exceptional at a couple things, and one of them was super murdering people, like murdering them dead. And the Romans had perfected killing people to like a science. And the weight of evidence from how he was beaten, how he was abused, how he was crucified is so overwhelming that it has historically been agreed that he, he died. So Jesus lived, Jesus died. The problem I think we have is the next part, Jesus rose. A lot of you, you say, okay, great. Yeah, some guy named Jesus lived, some guy named Jesus was killed by Romans, you know, as a thief. But the problem you're going to have is that Jesus rose. See, the problem is if you agree that Jesus rose, then that would mean he is actually God. He actually is who he says he is. 
and that it means that what he said about following him and not following him is true. It means that his exclusive claim to divinity is correct. People say, well, he, he, didn't, he didn't die. I mean, he didn't uh, rise again. He was taken from the tomb by the Romans. He was taken out because they wanted to prove something. I think that's an interesting theory, given that the Christians were such problems that at any point they could have just produced the body and said, hey, look, uh, that somehow all of these soldiers in a deep network kept it a secret that they took a really influential person at the time. People say, okay, it's not the Romans. His, uh, it was the Jewish leaders that took him because they wanted to discredit him. Well, that's interesting because the Jewish leaders struggled against the Christians. And so at any point they would have taken the body and been like, look, we have this body. Here's this body. We can prove that he is really dead. Okay, well, if it wasn't the Christ, if it wasn't the Romans, if it wasn't the Jewish leaders, then it must have been the disciples. The disciples took the body to prove that he's resurrected. That would take a couple things. One, it would mean that 11 uneducated men who were basically scattered to the hills after the guy they had loved was brutally murdered, and basically the women were the only ones brave enough to go outside. It means those guys overpowered Roman armed guards, moved a stone, and released the body. And then it would ha you would have to believe beyond that that these men who did not get rich, who spent their whole time with sick people, beggars, they died penniless, most of them were brutally murdered. Uh, Thomas, who's identified as Doubting Thomas, he's actually speared to death in India. It would mean this, it would mean these men who somehow found a way to overpower the legion of Roman guards or pay them off even though they were penniless, decided to then take the body of Jesus, live penniless, broken, beaten lives, and somewhere when they were getting sawed in half as martyrs, thought, this is fine. You know what? Not a single one of them thought, you know what? No, forget this. I'm done. Like, you know what? We got the body. It's over at Peter's house. It's in the backyard. Get a couple shovels. Go dig it up because I'm done. Do not cut me in half. No, they died brutal lives. Why? Because they had seen the resurrection for themselves. They had seen the empty tomb. They had seen the risen Lord. If he rose, it means he's truly God. If he isn't God and he didn't rise, then there is no hope in healing. Go out, buy whatever you can, get whatever you can to temporarily make yourself feel better. But if he rose, then it must mean he fulfilled what he promised. He is God. He brought a new covenant. He defeated death. And so his disciples knew they couldn't deny it. They were transformed by it. That Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave and rose to bring the transforming hope and healing of his resurrection to us. This is important. Not only is the resurrection prove his divinity, but the resurrection is the death of death. Since the beginning, we have been under the curse of death. Adam and Eve in the garden, everything's perfect, but they sin in the garden. And so sin nature was brought into our world when they chose to glorify themselves, when they chose to eat from the tree they shouldn't, when they, when they chose to sin, sin nature was brought into the world. But what's amazing is even back at the garden, God still promises that he's going to send a savior. And here's what he says to Satan at the very beginning. He says, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He who is going to be fulfilled by Jesus shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Uh, another translation says he will crush your head as you will strike his heel. That's more accurate. 
See, Satan bit the heel of Christ by crucifying him, but Jesus Christ crushed the head of Satan by defeating death. This is important. When Jesus emptied the grave, he emptied it of his power. Hear me again. When Jesus emptied the grave, he emptied death of its power. The resurrection is the death of death. Acts 2, 22 through 24 says this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Peter is preaching and declaring boldly based off what he has seen, the resurrection, under no fear of death. Peter, the guy who was afraid of a little girl finding out he knew Jesus, is now standing up in front of thousands, and here's what he says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him and in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plans and foreknowledge of God. You crucified him and killed him in the hands of lawless men. It says, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus was crucified. The enemy celebrated because in the enemy's mind, it's like, he had crushed Jesus Christ. He had destroyed him. He had brought him to a place of death. But what's amazing is that Jesus Christ defeats death and rises from the grave. See, if Christ was still in the grave on Resurrection Sunday, then death would have won, sin would have won in your life, the enemy would have won over you. But because the grave is empty, it means that Jesus Christ is victorious, and it means that he is alive, and it means that he has won, and you have won through him. That's why 1 Corinthians says, O death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? See, the resurrection is the death of death. Death is defeated. He has defeated death through his resurrection, which means for you and I, death is defeated. That means all the sin, all the shame that he took from you and I, he took to the cross and he died for it there. Then he took it to the grave and buried it there. But the tomb is empty. He rose again. And so your sin, your shame is bought, paid for, and released through a risen Lord which means that you, through Christ, can receive a new life, all because of the resurrection. So not only is the resurrection proof of his divinity, not only is the resurrection the death of death, but the resurrection is an invitation to new life. See, Jesus took all the sin that I had, and he took it to the cross, and he rose again, defeating death, defeating the grave, and he then called me and called you wherever you are, to a new life. First Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 5:17 says this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. See, the empty tomb is empty, but it is not silent. The empty tomb loudly declares throughout all of human history, throughout all the years, over all of our doubt, all of our pain, all of our sin, all of our shame, the empty tomb declares Jesus is not here, he has risen. It declares that we have received a resurrection that comes from him. It shouts throughout all of history, death is defeated, Satan is defeated, the victory has been won, and now you and I can receive receive new life the question is why stay locked into death when you can receive the resurrection 
See, I understand if Jesus was still in the tomb, why you would just want to stay medicating your soul. But since Jesus has risen, he comes to you and he says, why stay locked in death when I've come to bring you resurrection? I've come to bring you power that defeated the grave. Because when Jesus emptied the grave, not only did he empty death of his power, but it emptied death of its power over us. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did Jesus go to the grave? Why did he take our sins? Because he so deeply loves us. If you have your Bible or you have notes open, I want you to write down, underline, circle, highlight, sticky note, whatever you can, this verse. Lean out the window, yell it at your neighbor, whatever you need to do. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hear me, we could never pay for our sins. I could never pay for my sins. Only the perfect son of God could pay for my sin. But Jesus loved me so much that he took the weight of my sin, the weight of your sin. He defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he rose again to bring you, not to just some flat plane of basic existence. He came to bring you a new life. John 10, 10 says, the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that you'd have life. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Romans 6, 4 says, we were buried therefore with him into baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. See, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer bound to brokenness. We are no longer lost in hopelessness. We have received new life. In Jesus Christ. Finally, most importantly, not only is the resurrection proof of his divinity, not only is the resurrection the death of death, not only is the resurrection an invitation for you to receive a new life, the resurrection is hope and healing for every person. See, no life is beyond the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that the resurrected king cannot resurrect. There is no life too broken. There is no heart too far. There is no chasm too deep, no separation too great, no distance too far. There is no sin too mighty overwhelming. There is no past too concerning. There is no background too unnerving. There is no life beyond the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. He brings salvation as the free gift of hope and healing because he already paid for it on the cross and he already defeated it in the grave. And so he says this morning, if I was resurrected, I can resurrect your life. If I was resurrected, then I can resurrect your family. If I was resurrected, then I can resurrect your soul and your heart, the thing that longs for more, that longs for purpose. If Jesus Christ is resurrected, he can resurrect your life. There is hope for every future and there is healing for every past. In your life, in your family, in your relationships, there is hope through Jesus Christ and the resurrection for your future and through the blood that was shed, there is healing for your past. I want to read you one last scripture today, Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved 
and raised us up with him and, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not by your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk with them. See, Jesus is bringing hope and healing to you today. He already paid for your sins. He already defeated death in the grave. And he's now inviting you to receive the hope and healing that is here today. Some of you today, wherever you are, in your living room, in your family room, your kitchen, walking down the street, you need a fresh start. You need a new life. You need God to do a miracle in your life. You need healing in your very soul. And maybe you have tried everything that the world has to offer. But nothing is going to resurrect your life except the resurrecting King of Jesus Christ. But what's amazing is you don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove it. You just have to receive what he has already given you. It is a free gift. Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That word saved means healed and rescued. If you are ready today, there is hope for your future and healing from your past through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If that's you today, and you're saying, I wanna receive the hope and healing of Jesus Christ. I wanna begin a new life. I wanna be made fresh. I've tried everything to resurrect my life, but today I'm saying, Jesus, I need you to bring me into your resurrection. I need the old to be gone and for the new to come. I need a new life. I need hope and healing that I wanna pray for you today. If you would, wherever you are, just bow your head and close your eyes with me. And I'm just going to invite you to repeat after me. You're in your room. You're with your friends. Tell your friends, hey, don't make me feel weird. Repeat with me. And I want to pray what is the most important prayer you can pray in your life. The journey of Jesus is many yeses, but this first yes is so important. And so if you're going to say yes to Jesus today, I want you just wherever you are, online, on our chat, watching live with us to just click, I raise my hand, or maybe just in your room, you wanna raise your hands and we're gonna pray together. So if you're with me, bow your head and close your eyes and let's pray. Pray, dear Jesus, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for saving me. Today, I give you my life. I surrender my heart completely to you. I confess you as my Lord and Savior and receive the new life that comes from you. In Jesus' name, 